Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. everyone and welcome to another episode of On The Turnbuckle here on mypodcasthouse.com or whatever you're listening to us on. Thank you for joining us for another week. The music of Mike Quackenbush joining us and as we introduce Welshie and Lyle. Boys, good day to you. Very good day, Tony. How you going, mate? I'm very well, thank you. The reason we play the music for White Quack... White... What? Mike Quackenbush is that he will be joining us a little bit later on in the show. Well, he's already joined us. <laughs> it is here in the middle recorded, of the night. To we recorded record one o'clock in the morning last Friday morning. Yes, and uh, Lyle organised the interview, but then forgot that we had it. So if we hadn't, if you were the only one on the ball, actually, Tony. Thank you. That's because yeah, I'm used to doing midnight radio. Uh, <laughs> you're a producer, Tony, and smart too. You got a couple of hours sleep beforehand. Get yes, yourself, correct. Right, and uh, yeah. And as you'll tell in the interview shortly, that I was probably the only one that was really awake for it all, and actually asking the sensible questions. Um, I doubt it. I oh. was I was on the, I was on my A game. Yeah. I was actually on a on a pretty good buzz after. There's just no way I can get myself over. Is it? It's just not allowed to happen. <laughs> you got. I, was, I put you over enough, and then you try to double down by putting us, like by trying to go over us. Yeah, and that's I'm not going to. And I'm and, not going to stand for and that. And I've never been thrown under a bus before. Never. Ah. Uh JXT. Great to see him on our show last week, and great to see him on the weekend as well. We'll talk about. That, but uh, he's returned to Australian wrestling after a couple of months away. Yeah, really good, and some good feedback. You know, it's always good to hear from uh, young JXT. He had a great experience while he was over there, and you know, a little bit personable and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's a couple of good nuggets in there. Good to see his mum too. She was at the show on Saturday night. Yeah, I saw that on social media. Hmm. Oh, you didn't see it on Saturday night. Well, she... I don't remember anything. Oh, Saturday you don't remember Saturday night? night. Yeah, we'll get into that. Save later that for the second half of the show. You bet you will talk about that. He's reviewing the, the whole of Showdown. <laughs> We're going to sit back, Tony. <laughs> That'll be a very quick show. It'll be over very, very fast. <laughs> uh, folks, sit back and enjoy this interview with Mike Quackenbush. An amazing interview, just enthralling to listen to his answers. You'll hear us with a bit of a three or four second gap between his answer and our next question. It's only due to the fact that we were just so enthralled and, and into what he was saying that you forgot that there was any more questions. You're just listening, taking also it because it was you know one thirty in the morning and <laughs> and you were I was nodding off at stages. <laughs> here he is, Mike Quackenbush here on the Turnbuckle. All right, time to catch up with our special guest today, gentlemen, and he's over in the states at the moment, around about an hour or so out of Philadelphia. He's been a professional wrestler, still is a professional wrestler, a trainer. He is a podcaster. He's an author. He's pretty much done everything I reckon you could do in wrestling. His name is Mike Quackenbush, and he joins us on the line now. G'day, Mike. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you guys? Oh, we're okay. We're doing fantastic. Actually, really excited to have you on, and uh, we do thank you for your time. Mm-hmm. No, I've very much been looking forward to it. 
Just want to firstly open up. Obviously, Log has been a big influence on uh, your wrestling career. Um, what's your thoughts? He's retiring at the or the start of next year. Um, he's going away to a party. How, how have you seen it? And uh, you touch on some of the things that he's meant to you in your career. Well, it's bittersweet. I think because for the most part, we've only ever known the mask of Liger. You know, unless you look at a couple of those rare matches where his mask is shredded and you can see parts of his face beneath it. I can think of one, a very bloody one with great Muda. Um, Discounting those, right, we just sort of see him as the mask. That's who Jushin Liger is. And that mask never ages. You know, he's ever youthful in that way. And the way that he wrestles, he seems ever youthful. And I I don't know off the top of my head how old Liger is. I would guess he's a couple years older than I am, but I don't really know. So it seems strange that this character, which has a certain quality of immortality to me, might go away. It's it's a little bittersweet. I think he is the one that really lit the fire inside of me to make me want to chase this thing. And although there are several characters over the years that have inspired me or some that made me feel like this really was an attainable goal. I think the one, two, three kids sticks out as an easy example there. Liger for me, he's just top of the heap. And the idea that he's going away is a little melancholy, but it's something that I can certainly relate to as I alternate between these feelings of if, if I even put my foot between the ropes, I'm going to shatter into a million pieces. And I feel like that more days than I care to admit. Contrasted against the alternate point of view, where you come out of a match feeling like, oh, I feel like I could just wrestle forever. But eventually, you can't keep those two sides, those two alternates in balance. And one of them starts to overtake the other. And you must acknowledge that your body is saying, you know, it's time for you to find something else to do. And I would guess that must be where Liger's at. You know, we, it's not as if he and I are chummy. We don't text back and forth. I don't know. But I would guess that's got to be what it is, that he feels all those miles and all those bumps catching up to him. And he just thought, this is about enough. So as a decision, it's certainly something I can understand. And as someone who grew up uh, with, you know, Liger as, a, as an idol and uh, someone to aspire to be, what was it like when you got to tag with him? Um, it was probably one of the one of the very biggest thrills of my entire life. Not just me, the wrestler, of my entire life. Because he is so very significant to me. Um, it, it felt also like the bookend of a giant chunk of my story. Because in many ways, my story begins when I see Liger. Prior to that, I had seen some WWF on TV. A uh, kid in my neighborhood had gotten... WrestleMania six. And I remember going over there mostly because I heard there'd be free pizza at the party (laughs) and watching Hulk Hogan and ultimate warrior in the main event of six was my first exposure to pro wrestling as a kid. And I watched it for a few minutes. And then I looked around at all my, you know, classmates thinking, why do you like this? This is dumb. (laughs) So it wasn't until I saw Liger who really, illuminated all the points of intersection between something I loved, which was superhero culture and pro wrestling and realized 
oh, that's possible within this universe. This guy with the mask and the horns on top and the crazy cape doing the high-flying daredevil acrobatics, it's not just two oiled-up muscle heads posing endlessly in the ring. It can be that. And that's really what puts me on the path. And from that moment on, pro wrestling just starts to overtake and infect and corrupt every corner of my life. And depending on to what degree that informs your own fandom, you can probably relate to that idea when suddenly all your school projects are about pro wrestling. And the magazines that you read are ones that contain information about pro wrestling. All your internet behavior becomes about professional wrestling. It just creeps into every corner of your life. And the gateway for that to happen to me is Liger. So he's there at the very beginning of my story. And then in that tag match in Secaucus, New Jersey, when I ended up shattering my right leg, very much felt like the bookend. That's kind of the end of a certain story for me as well. And it's by all rights should be the last time I'm ever called lightning in the ring. <laughs> um, I remember when I was uh, a lot younger, I went to a show in Melbourne and um, I remember seeing Max Moon for the first time. And I know you were one of the very few besides me, Max Moon fans. What is it? about? Wow. You are speaking right to my heart. <laughs> what is it about um, characters like that, that transfix you? Uh, I think because they could jump out of the ring directly into a comic book that I love and they don't require any adjustment. I, I can remember, I don't know who it is that said this to me. I just remember having this conversation as a kid when I, when the boom of the nationalization happens after WrestleMania one and the rock and wrestling era kind of begins, Hulkamania starts to become a pop culture phenomenon I would remember asking like my classmates who were enthralled with it, right? They'd come to class with Roddy Piper t-shirts on or Jake the Snake shirts on. Why do you like this? I would ask them. What is it about it? And they would say, well, it's just, they're just like larger than life superheroes. But when I would look at Hulk Hogan or Roddy Piper or any of those guys, as someone who was a devout reader of comic books, I would think that's not what, those aren't superheroes. Those are just muscle heads and tights. That's something very different. They don't look like Spider-Man. They don't look like Cyclops. They don't look like Green Lantern. They don't look like any of those guys. Where are the masks? They don't have, they're just humans. They don't really have any superpowers. But in its own, in his weird way, right, Max Moon's origin story is right out of a comic book. He's supposed to be this visitor from outer space. He's got a jetpack that lifts him up the ring steps while Gorilla and Bobby try to make sense of, you know, the smoke effect that's coming out of it. It was so weird. And the fact that he could potentially, he never was, but that he could potentially be in the exact same ring as Hulk Hogan or Sergeant Slaughter, that was mind-boggling to me. Like, all I wanted was to see how far Max Moon could go because he was just such an oddity. And not unlike a novelty hit on radio that just kind of comes and goes, right? Like, he's very much the how bizarre by OMD of his generation of wrestlers. <laughs> He's only recalled by like a select few, right? He, because he's only on TV for about five months. His tenure in the you know, international spotlight, so to speak, is incredibly brief. You know, like a favorite TV show that gets canceled too soon. You kind of bond with the people that loved that same weird show before the cord got yanked. Yeah, I mean, if he hadn't played that one show in Melbourne that I was at, I, I wouldn't probably not have known who he was. Was it a WWF show or it was some other appearance he did? It was, um, there was probably f 
That was another appearance. We didn't get WWF tours until much, much later mm. down here. I see. Yeah, for a while, right after he leaves WWF, he briefly goes to New Japan. And I remember having a photograph in an issue of maybe it was Weekly Gong or Baseball Magazine Shaw where Max Moon is in a yellow costume, like some alternate color costume. Um, so I, I know, right, he must have gone through Japan and Australia on a swing around that time. And then there's only three of the Max Moon costumes. There's that weird alternate costume. And then there are two of them in baby blue. Apparently, both of them got sold off. So one of them I happen to know is I, I've often made an effort to try and hunt the pieces down myself. Uh, I, I guess so I look great on Halloween. Um, <laughs> A, a friend of Colt Cabana's has one of them. The other is located up near Boston. And the owner of it was kind enough to show it to me several years ago, but had let it fall into disrepair. And it looked something like moth-eaten lingerie when I saw it. <laughs> Mike, uh, lucha wrestling would seem to be the ultimate form of professional wrestling. And, and I mean that to the extent that the way that they can win over a crowd wearing a mask uh, – Wrestlers who don't wear a mask have the ability and the the way that they can manoeuvre their face and the like to to draw the crowd into their their moves and such. But masked wrestlers don't have that. All they have is their uh, ability to mix with the crowd in, in, in some sort of weird way. Well, uh, I agree. Um, I think, you know... Everyone that takes the stage is equipped with, well, not everyone, but most are equipped with three key theatrical tools, right? We have our facial expression, yep. our body language, and our voice. So in the case of the masked luchadors, or, or anyone that's masked, luchador or not, most of the facial expressions are removed from the equation. Liger's a great example of that, right? We can't see his eyes. We really can't see his mouth. We can all picture some masks that are a little more open. Um, I think one of the things that's, that's probably the reality of performing on, um, you know, worldwide television all the time is why Rey Mysterio Jr.'s mask went from having the closed eye ports all the time and the more narrow mouth to more open eye ports, a wider mouth. Sometimes you can even see all of his skull, right? You can see that his head is shaved. So there are small cheats, but generally speaking, the mask removes our facial expressions from the equation. So what that forces you to do is to amplify the other two. You must increase your vocals and you must increase your body language. But that works well like in the giant arenas that you see in Mexico, the Arena Mexico, the Arena Coliseos. So when you don't have the benefit of like a giant video screen, like if you were going to see a massive band in concert, you know, like U2 comes to town, you could be a quarter mile away from the stage. You're not even really looking at them. You're looking at the giant video wall that's projecting the image of what's on the stage to you. And that might show you an extreme close-up of Bono. That might show you an extreme close-up of the edge. And then the facial expressions can be appreciated. But if you've ever been in like an arena Coliseo, you could be in row 50. You have zero chance of seeing anybody's facial expression. Even if they turned and looked directly at you. You know, unless you had your, your glasses on and the lights were exactly right, you couldn't see their facial expressions. But body language is something that can be amplified deep into those kinds of arenas. And I think that's one of the things that actually gives a luchador an advantage 
they learn how to maximize vocals and body language because they often do not have facial expressions to lean on. And it will, I think, sometimes make them a far more powerful performer than someone who must evenly divide their focus between all three. Now, another person that was in uh, entrenched in that your start was uh, Reckless Youth. I know uh, a lot of young independent wrestlers at the time looked up to Reckless Youth. What, what did he mean to you as you were coming through and you know just starting off Shakara, obviously? Well, years before Shakara, Tom and I first crossed paths probably at the end of 1996 or the very beginning of 1997. And uh, he was someone that I looked up to because even though I had been wrestling longer than him, he had, by several magnitudes, much more success than I did. So that was someone I wanted to look at and try to figure out, how is this guy so far ahead of me? I've been doing this almost twice as long as him at this point. How is he so far ahead of me by virtually every metric? He travels to more places. His calendar is more full. He commands a higher booking fee. He sells more merchandise. What is this guy doing that I'm not doing? So the end result of that is both good and bad. There are a lot of things that Tom did that he was simply outstanding at. He was exemplary. However, he also had a lot of terrible bad habits um, and oftentimes conducted himself with an utter lack of professionalism. But to me, as a pig-headed young man who was also somewhat ignorant in the ways of professional wrestling, I just thought, I will carbon copy as many of these things as possible until my success is commensurate with his. Um, And as I said, there were pros and cons to that. Ultimately, I feel very fortunate that I was kind of the jelly to Tom's peanut butter in so many matches, and that there were so many people out there that wanted to serve their audience a PB&J. Certainly, Chikara would not exist today without the Reckless Youth. The Wrestle Factory would not exist today without the Reckless Youth. And if you think about just some of the products of the Wrestle Factory over the years, and granted, there are people I've trained outside of the Wrestle Factory, right? Like, Alistair Black is one that jumps to mind. But just think of the people that have come out of my Wrestle Factory, Cesaro, Drew Gulak, etc. We may not have any of those people if not for the fact that Tom had such a great business mind that he went up setting the corporate entities in place so Chikara and the Wrestle Factory could be real businesses. And like any other relationship, a personal one that you have with your significant other or a family member or a relationship you have with someone that is in a professional vein only, like I was with Tom, you know, there's good and bad. There's give and take. There's some really wonderful boons that come your way as a result of being in that relationship, but you got to take the good with the bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm speaking of the Wrestle Factory in Shikara, uh, I know that you've got a relationship with PWA in Sydney, um, with Robbie Eagles and Madison Eagles and a few of our other guys. Uh, I know we've got a few guys in the King of Trios coming up. Um, mm-hmm. How much do you get to keep an eye on what's going on on the other side of the world when you're so busy? Well, I always like to keep tabs on where I think the next big boom is going to happen. Um, back in the early to mid OOs, that was the European scene. I was really focused on what was going there. And then eventually, especially the UK, but continental Europe as well, really kind of exploded. And I think it became clear two to three years ago that it's only a matter of time before Australia becomes that next hotbed. 
the quality of talent that PWA is turning out. Um, and, and to be fair, right? Like it, it's not as if there aren't other great schools. It's not as if there isn't other great talent, but I would say my focus and my emphasis happens to be there because Madison Eagles spent time training underneath me. And I've had the, I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of Australians come over and spend time at my wrestle factory. And so my network expands. My, my social circle expands. Now I've got friends all along the East coast of Australia to keep up with. And even if we don't talk every single day, we do keep in touch. If something happens over there that's noteworthy, chances are it's going to end up in my inbox so that I have a real direct conduit to what's happening over there. And it wasn't all that long ago. I don't know, a year and a half, maybe I got to spend a week or so down under, um, kind of ping-ponging between Newcastle and Sydney and just teaching myself into exhaustion and getting to see a lot of the budding talent where they were at, you know, give or take 18 months ago. It was so clear to me, even after just seeing a little bit of it, that Australia was on the cusp of a boom period that I think we still haven't seen reach its zenith now. Mike, do you still get excited where someone walks in through your door at the Wrestle Factory? Uh, a blank canvas, I suppose, someone who's never wrestled before and says, this is something I want to do. And you look at him and you go, I reckon there might be something here that we can work on. Do you get more excited about that than actually having a, a star walk in through the door and say, we need to work on something? Um, I guess they're, they're two very different experiences, each of which is kind of bristling with its own exciting potential. What I like about someone who has absolutely no experience is that it's, as you said, right, very aptly put, they are a blank canvas. This is an opportunity to kind of shape that experience entirely for them. And I think that's probably why, uh, and and I've come to know this through being fortunate enough to do some teaching for uh, the Performance Center down in Orlando, Florida for WWE. An uh, exceptional percentage of the people down there have zero pro wrestling background. And I understand why that's attractive to them in their system because then they can teach them the WWE method from the ground up. They don't have other things that they've got to unlearn before they can learn WWE television method. So likewise for them, that blank canvas really allows them to flex their muscles a bit. On the other hand of the equation though, um, I'll think of any, like a couple months ago, I remember Uh, I was down at the Performance Center, and I was lucky enough to spend an hour or two with Alexa Bliss, where our main directive was uh, to equip her with some very dangerous submission holds. That was the directive. Um, And some holds, you know, you might use them to immobilize. Some Some of them, I think of them as like constrictors or knots. The luchadors call them nudos. But we were looking at more dangerous material. And having that very narrow focus with someone who is already, she's already wrestled on how many WrestleManias. Having that much narrow focus really allowed me to do a deep dive into the work. And I think sometimes that's when I get to flex my muscles a little bit. Um, because <laughs> when it comes to like the weird cataloging of moves and that sort of thing, I can probably walk further down a wacky branch of wrestling's tree than just about anybody wearing boots and sparkly pants today. So that kind of work also excites my imagination. Now, when the concept of Shakara was in uh, its early stages, what was the thought process of like bringing that ultimate comic book come to life in the 
Chikara universe? Well, in the first couple seasons of Chikara, that that as a mission statement really doesn't exist. We're really just trying to pay the bills. We're always on the verge of going out of business in those first couple of years. Um, all of Chikara's bills start tumbling onto my personal credit cards. The, the mission is, can we keep the lights on? But then, right around the time of the Tag World Grand Prix tournament in 2005, so we're about three years deep into the whole wacky experiment, things start to stabilize a little bit. And when it doesn't feel like, oh God, how are we going to be in business two weeks from now anymore? It allows you to kind of come down out of the overall anxiety of that. Uh, it's amazing I don't have more gray hairs from those three years. <laughs> and then just sort of focus in on, well, what do I want to do now? Right? Like I, I'm not plugging holes on a sinking ship anymore. So where do I want to sail? And uh, whatever it is I do when I'm, whether I'm writing or, you know, creating for wrestling or anything else that I do, ultimately it's just an expression of all the weird ingredients that have gone into my pan and then slide into the oven. This is true of all of us as creators, as podcasters, whatever it is that you might do, you are the sum of all those influences and ingredients. And so for me, it is a lot of, it's Bronze Age comic books, it's conspiracy movies and television shows like The X-Files or The Parallax View, and then throughout the phases of Chikara, I'm really heavily influenced by the other types of drama where I find the characters and the storytelling to be really compelling. And whether that's things like the television show Lost or Nolan's Dark Knight trilogy or the Marvel Cinematic Universe or whatever it is, I look at those things and I say, oh, I, I want to take a couple things that I like about this. Or I really like that character relationship. Do I have a tag team where I could take that relationship and map it over them and then see where that goes? Or, you know, here's a twist I've never seen done in wrestling. We see it done a lot in drama, but we don't see it converted over into our art form. Can I steal that? And that's really all it is. From that moment on, then, once I realized I had the license to do whatever I could do so long as the company can still pay the bills at the end of the month, I began to just steal liberally from all the different things that I love. Oh, I love this about Cirque du Soleil, and I love that about the Harlem Globetrotters. And I love this about the old X-Men comics that I used to read, but I love this about the TV show Dexter. And then I just throw it all in a pan and see what comes out. Yeah, because uh, in wrestling, there's a lot of follow the leader. Um, and mm -hmm. with the sort of curtain being drawn back a bit these days and the crowd are more in on what wrestling is, I feel like uh, there's a push towards reality, whereas with Shakara, you take the the other extreme of let's push it towards drama and science fiction and whatever we want it to be, because the crowd will suspend disbelief and come along if the story's compelling enough. Yeah, very well said. I couldn't agree more wholeheartedly. And I think if you want to utilize or possibly exploit certain elements of reality for the hope in the hope that it will make for compelling TV, like uh, a real relationship between two human beings. Um, if you put that on stage and you want that to be part of your story, but the reality of it crumbles from underneath, then you start to find yourself in a very dicey situation and you could potentially paint yourself into a corner. In addition to which uh, I, I, when I teach seminars and classes, I try to counsel the younger generation against this sort of thing about how much of your personal life 
you are willing to put on display because of the temptation of social media, you do need to reserve some part of yourself that remains private because you are opening yourself up to so much more potential negativity and it will never, ever be balanced out by the number of likes or retweets your photos and posts get. It just won't. That ephemeral flare of validation you get because one more person like your quasi-provocative selfie at the end of the day is never going to balance out when that inevitable toxic tsunami comes for you. And, uh, you know, a, a lot of kids are just seduced by it these days. Um, there's, a, there's a very compelling array of reasons why maintaining the fiction of it by crafting a, a really well thought out universe where the characters are more fictional than they are real creates a layer of armor between the performer and the potential slings and arrows that we all have to endure when we go wading out there into cesspools like Twitter. Yeah, that separation of realism and, and uh, yeah, fantasy. You're right, some wrestlers just uh, don't get in there and invariably they're the ones that really do struggle in, in life and and unfortunately we've seen a, a fair bit of uh, issue and, and, and the like happen with uh, wrestlers in that age group of around about mid-30s to to early 50s recently where there's been some tragic stories uh, that we've heard. Mm-hmm. With, um, the, I remember the first time I come across Shukara was uh, when I got my first uh, iPod, um, searching on iTunes wrestling-related stuff, and you, your video podcasts, before I even knew what a podcast was, um, what was it, the method of getting in front uh, of the new technology and the new platforms to get your uh, platform well seen across the world before a lot of companies did? Well, uh, in my late 20s, I certainly went through a period where trying to be an early adopter of every f- new form of technology and platform was the, the sort of thing that I really enjoyed. And it was probably the same day I heard the term podcast. I had thrown a message out to our group and I said, does anybody know what this is and how we can make it? And someone led me to a character named Wiggly, who, if you watch those early podcast go gos I'm sure he is familiar to you. Um, He's uh, the bald-headed, bespectacled guy with the exceptionally oblique sense of humor. And he knew exactly how to do it, how to deliver it, how to distribute it, how to build the feed so the podcast went where it had to go way before that became the sort of thing where we all have a podcast, right? Some of us have multiple podcasts. And to be the first podcast about wrestling, let alone video podcast that was coming out from an actual wrestling company, it wasn't something that was put together by aficionados. It seemed very official, gave us a massive leg up as that thing started to reach out there and then eventually become a really important method of communicating with your audience. So that really, to me, speaks to the epicenter of the period of my life where being that early adopter was something that was really, really important to me. And, you know, as as we grow older and we change and we evolve, different things kind of take focus for us. You know, you'll go through a phase where this thing is really important to you or that thing is really important to you. And I, 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 
think podcast to go is really like that perfect. If I had to put a pin on a timeline, that's when to me, that was going to be the thing that got Chikara out there more than anything else is we're going to be the first into this new space. And for every podcast to go go, which was successful in finding new audiences, there's also 10 other experiments that bombed terribly because it never took off. That method of communicating never really became ubiquitous. That platform failed to become popular. Here's the, I can think of one off the top of my head. Podcast to go go for as many people as that introduced us to. The flip side of it was we put some money into something called Burn Lounge. Has anyone ever heard of Burn Lounge? No. Right. Uh, So Burn Lounge was meant to be uh, a method by which people could buy music downloads through you and you would make like an affiliate sale. But we had to build a Chakara store for Burn Lounge. So if you went to our website and clicked on Burn Lounge, you could buy the latest Shakira single from Chikara if you wanted to. You could get Katy Perry's new MP3 through Chikara. And, you know, we would make five cents or, you know, whatever ridiculously small thing. But this is right after iTunes lands as the music store juggernaut. And all of a sudden, you know, every periodical, every magazine is running stories about the death of the music store. Mom and pop record stores going out of business iTunes is the juggernaut in the room. It's on its way to becoming the most important media store in the world. And we thought, this is it, right? This is our little piece of that action. Instead of going to iTunes, people will go to ChikaraPro.com, click on our Burn Lounge link, and they're going to get their favorite music through us. And of course, it was a colossal disaster. Burn Lounge never took off. We paid all these licensing and franchising fees to be able to do this. And I bet you the most we ever made in any cycle was about 30 cents. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> you live and you learn. Yeah, exactly. I, I hope we didn't invest in Bitcoin. <laughs> no. Um, luckily, that phase where I wanted to be the early adopter of every new technology is behind me. Um, you've wrestled basically all around the world and against a lot of uh, – great wrestlers and probably not so great wrestlers as well i just wanted to touch on true (laughs) i just want to touch on a few of the probably more special ones like i know you had the opportunity to wrestle eddie guerrero when he was on a break from wwe at one stage yes that's true in february of 2002 in lynn massachusetts um for company that might be wwa um, sometimes the alphabet companies just scrambled together in my mind. <laughs> I could have gotten that totally wrong. There was um, three letters. But yes. Right. A company that had three letters in its name, one of which was a vowel. Um, I did have the opportunity to wrestle Eddie Guerrero. And uh, I lament the fact that there is no video of this match. There are still photographs, but there's no video of it. Um What I remember, I mean, I remember a lot about it, but I think something that I often go back to are two moments, one of which is we are in the ring together. And I think we've been out there at this point, maybe 15 minutes or so. And the referee gives us the signal that it's time for us to wrap it up, that our our time is coming to an end. And so we'd better get, get things moving along here and get ready to wrap it up. And as the referee gives us the signal to go, I think Eddie does not hear him. So I said to him, Eddie, uh, that's it. We got to start to wrap it up. And he said, oh, I was just really starting to enjoy working with you. Well, that's a shame. Uh, 
And that meant a lot to me, that a guy who I studied and admired so greatly was having a good time in the ring and was kind of like, oh, is it over already? Uh, I don't know that I blush, but if I do, I probably did. Then he left me with an, a lesson I reference in the classes I teach to this day. Afterward, we were sat together in the back, toweling off, both of us, sweaty messes. And I said to him, you know, it means a lot to me that you worked so hard, right? It, and it was clear he's about to go back to the WWF. All the WWF producers and agents were there babysitting him because I think perhaps he might have been coming back from about with something. Maybe it was alcohol. I don't really remember. You like to have a good time. But the reason they were there was because they wanted to make sure he was on his best behavior. They were not going to bring him back to the WWF if they felt like he had not resolved whatever his issues were. But he had. In his time off, he was able to write his ship and... He was, I could be mistaken, it, maybe the date's out there. It feels like two weeks later, he's intercontinental champion again. So I knew he had bigger things on the horizon. And being in this tiny hall in front of 300 fans in Lynn, Massachusetts, wrestling a guy he's never heard of is not top of the priority list for Eddie Guerrero. I just don't make that list. And I said to him, it means a lot to me that you worked so hard for me out there to make me look as if I were your equal in the ring. I know you didn't have to do that. I know this is not probably the, you know, top of the priority list for you. So thank you. Thank you for doing that for me. And he said, here's a lesson my father taught me about what we do. He said, if I go out to the ring and I make you out to be a nobody, if I set my mind to just outclassing you and running circles around you, and then I beat you, who did I really beat? Nobody. I beat a nobody. It was a waste of time. And if I go out there to the ring and I make you look like you're a zero, and then you beat me? Who did I just get beat by? A complete nobody. It's up to us to make each other look great. And I've taken that lesson with me ever since. Yeah, that's it's a, a really good yeah. important lesson to everyone, I guess. Um, I know that... Uh, you also, um, you mentioned Cesaro, Claudio earlier, and he's probably one of your biggest rivals in the ring in, uh, in Shikara ever. Um, is it bittersweet when he moves to the WWE and, and that relationship sort of is put on hold, uh, at least the in-ring component? Right. As an in-ring competitor, I've always thought of Claudio as my simpatico. I think he and I were able to push each other in creative ways that uh, I know, at least for me, I don't want to speak for him. Uh, I've never had uh, somebody quite like him who, as soon as I felt like I was maxed out, he would be the one to be like, no, we can do a little more. No, you've got a little more in your tank than that. Come on. When he leaves, of course, um, that's bittersweet to feel like I'm not going to have him to push me any further. Um, because I know there was even more for us to create, even though we probably had, I don't know, 50 or 70 matches together. I, I, I feel like we hadn't really peaked yet. We were getting there. Um, and there are a couple of matches they're posted online. Um, you know, if you look at the match where Claudia was teamed with Sarah Del Rey against myself and Manami Toyota, um, there we're getting close to it. We're getting close to it. 
Um, and he and I are, are not exactly the same age watch. Cla- Claudio is a little bit younger than I am. So I hit my athletic peak a little before he does. And then I'm past my athletic peak at the time that he's really starting to just strut his stuff. So feeling like we just kind of missed each other, maybe at a very key time, right? Like, oh, what a shame. But, and I say this to him whenever I see him, please, Claudio, don't ever come back to the independence. Go and make millions and millions of dollars. He is such an immense talent and such a clear and obvious star in what we do. And I hope he just conquers the world, no matter where that is. You know, if you get tired of doing it, WWE, go to New Japan, go somewhere else. But go and realize your full potential. As much fun as it would be for me, if he decided to come back and said, Mike, go dig those sparkly pants out of your closet so we can do the dance again. Believe me, you wouldn't be able to wipe the smile off my face. But I want to see my student and my friend and my simpatico in the ring reach the heights that only he is capable of. And I would only hold him back. You mentioned that uh, a lot of things every now and then come into your inbox at uh that you like to sort of look at. Now, I'm sure one of those might have been uh, only just a couple of weeks ago down here in Melbourne, the match with New Japan between Robbie Eagles and Will Ospreay. Did you have an opportunity to, to have a look at that? Not in its entirety, but clips. And, you know, Robbie Eagles feels like a decade ago within the Young Lions Cup for Chikara. Knowing what he was like in his nascent form and how he's just evolved into this powerhouse in the ring has been such a satisfying journey to observe and he too is only just beginning to touch you know what that top level of Robbie Eagles can be so I I was very excited to see what I did see of that Will Ospreay match his new success in New Japan pro wrestling is very exciting and I'm sure like everyone that's played any role in his journey getting to this point we're all just cheering Robbie on Mm. he's such a good guy as well Mm mm-hmm um, the wrestling scene at the moment with uh, the AEW starting up and WWE having a another competitor on top of Impact and Ring of Honor and New Japan, how do you see uh, the opportunities f- for independent wrestlers and wrestlers in general? I think the next nine months are going to be the most interesting period in professional wrestling history since 2001. When WCW and ECW are taken off the table, when they're gobbled up by the McMahon machine, this vacuum opens up. And, of course, nature abhors a vacuum. In that vacuum, all these new things begin to happen. And 2002 is a transformative year in wrestling. That's when Chikara begins. The bizarre TNA experiment begins. Ring of Honor is 2002 as well, if I'm not mistaken. 2002, from the vacuum, a lot of interesting things happen. A massive paradigm shift is coming this autumn. One, I think it's great. Competition is always good. I I don't care for a monopoly. I know there are people that think that's the way to go. I'm not one of those people. I think competition spurs greatness, and I stand by that remark. But this paradigm shift that is coming, when we finally see All Elite really take the stage, when they land on television, and we start to see what their real take on things is going to be. And we've only seen snippets, right? We've seen these very tantalizing trailers with the events, double or nothing, or, you know, fighter fest later on all out. 
these are like trailers for what the full length movie is going to be when that lands come, I think it's October. So we're going to see such transformation happen. Is it going to be good for independent wrestling? Too early to say, I think, right? Like we're all just speculating. The truth is it could be terrible for independent wrestling. It could, it could be to the massive detriment. We don't know yet, but I'm excited to see where things go. What is that new landscape going to look like? Because the landscape for the last 17 plus, give or take years, has been a tad stagnant. So let's see where it goes. It, this is such an exciting time to be an aficionado of pro wrestling. Now, with um, you started announcing uh, competitors and entrance into the King of Trios that's coming up in a few months in October, um, do you have an, an all-star ultimate team? You know, any era, doesn't matter. Um, in your mind that if you could book, you, you would? Um, if it were possible, and the few times I've tried to chase this one down, it seems as if it's been impossible for financial reasons mostly, but also perhaps doing some small part to the crankiness of one of the people involved. I would love to have Satoru Sayama, Koji Kanemoto, and the current Tiger Mask as a trio of tiger masks. Um, every time I've gone at it, it's just been too prickly. It's like trying to grab a porcupine. No matter how you grab that thing, you're going to get stuck. So if I could remove the potential obstacles there and have tiger mask one, three, and four together at King of Trios, my inner fan would rejoice. It, it, if I didn't already have the best seat in the house for King of Trios, I'd buy it just to see the three of them together. <laughs> well, you, you've gone pretty close with the uh, the team of Scott Steiner, Petey Williams, and uh, Jordan Grace. I, th- I think that's that's pretty high up there of the most recent teams that have come out. People do seem very excited about that, which I'm glad for. Um, every once and again, we put something like that together that kind of puts a smile on our faces, but you never know how that's going to meet the, uh, you know, like the public. What are the ticket buyers going to think of that? It's great if we like it, but that doesn't mean that we're going to have a full house to play to. However, it does seem as if people, when they saw that, the, the most common reaction was like, is this a joke? Is this some sort of gag? Oh no, my friends, that's real. Uh, I haven't seen Scott Steiner wrestle for a while. That'll be uh, very interesting. <laughs> Um, all the same. We, I, I know that I'm not a worker, and uh, but I do listen to your podcast, Kayfabe 2.0, um, mm-hmm. and I feel like not only is that a really great message for workers, but for fans as well to just get insight into um, how much does go into a performance. Well, you may know fans are not permitted to listen to Kayfabe 2.0. I want to be clear. It is for professional wrestlers and fans are strictly prohibited from listening to my free podcast available on every platform. But I appreciate you saying that. And I've always enjoyed when I hear from people who perform in other disciplines, whether they're comedians or they're podcasters or they're public speakers or they're musicians or whatever they do, that it helps them to better understand the points of intersection between their discipline and my own. And There was a period of time where, uh, and perhaps a group of traditionalists who feel as if, well, sharing this kind of information 
is to the detriment of professional wrestling. But the people, I think, who make that argument fail to understand this. Everything a fan could want to know about the inner workings of professional wrestling is at most three Wikipedia pages deep. It's just waiting for you to discover and read it. But what that sort of information sometimes fails to do is convey all the challenges of the craft. If anything, it's an oversimplification. Well, what we do is very challenging. It's a very robust art form. And I think the kinds of things I talk about on Kayfabe 2.0, if for some bizarre reason a fan was able to listen to what I had to say there, they would come away not with any contempt or resentment for professional wrestling, but a greater respect and understanding of how difficult it is. Yeah, that's definitely what I definitely I get out of it. Like you get to understand just how much, how many different elements there are to a single performance as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you doing listening to it? You're a fan, mate. You shouldn't I'm be a listening podcaster. to it. Thank you. Oh, that's a, like, thank you. A, okay, yeah, yeah, fair enough too. What, uh, if, what if you have a wrestler in the room and he's listening to it? Is, is that all right? <laughs> Eavesdropping? Well, I, I would ask that you just put your fingers in your ears. Okay. Um, Please. And I appreciate, you know, whenever somebody brings that up to me, you know, Kayfabe 2.0, like if, if you looked on Apple Podcasts, for example, and you would look at how many people had rated it, you would think to yourself, this thing must not have a giant listenership. And yet when the numbers come back in from all the different platforms, I'm always astonished at how many people do listen to it. And Kayfabe 2.0 is top of mind for me because um, probably by the time this even airs, the very last episode, the series finale will have gone out. Um it, it lands in less than 24 hours as my focus is starting to move toward my new YouTube channel till we make it. And that's meant as an even broader take on what I've done at Kayfabe 2.0. So if you've been following along, you know, the work I've done over the last three years or so, it all kind of begins with my most recent book. Seven Keys to Becoming a Better Performer is like the starting point. But then as soon as the book comes out, I realize there's some other things I need to tackle here for this generation of performers. And that's where Kayfabe 2.0 comes from. It's kind of like this unending appendix to, K, uh, to seven keys. But now Kayfabe 2.0, I've gotten to that point where I realize I've said what I've had to say in this vein. But can I pull back and go even broader with the way I'm trying to approach the challenges that people who are performing today in professional wrestling are up against? And that's given birth to Till We Make It. And I think for a variety of reasons, I just wanted that platform shift from the audio only podcast to the YouTube channel. Um, and so that's where my attention and my focus is going now. And uh, if you've been following along or, you know, even if this sounds like the kind of thing like, hey, that's where I'm at in my wrestling journey. I need this kind of information and input. Great. Please jump on that YouTube channel. I'm making those videos with you in mind. And of course, they may not be watched by wrestling fans. Please, I I, uh, I I put them on and I turn my back so I can only hear it. Is that okay to, well, with the YouTube? All right, <laughs> <laughs> Mike. You mentioned the uh, the broad spectrum of uh, storylines for Chikara, and uh, and how you you get the you, you enjoy the ability to be able to to get involved in into that. I, I want to ask you about the storyline of shutting down. The promotion and shutting down the business and what the hell came into your mind to actually think of something like that initially 
And were you able to pull it off or was it a little bit of a, a hit that the business actually took? Well, it comes from a conversation I was having one night with um, two of the guys who I use as sounding boards, one of whom had a long history working in the comic book industry. He'd worked for Marvel in D.C. And uh, another fellow who was just one of the most creative guys to ever spend some time at Chikara. And we talked about a certain trope that had repeated itself across maybe three seasons where there was sort of like this group of outsiders or an invading force that came in. They take over for a while and then they are repelled. And that kind of repeats itself first uh, when Chikara invents the Kings of Wrestling. Of course, if you only know the Ring of Honor version of that, that's slightly different. But when that begins at Chikara, it's a group of eight. Um, then later comes the BDK, the Bruderschaft de Kreuzes. And then even later, there are kind of like the what seem to be the weird antimatter, you know, negative versions of famous Chikara characters, the Gekido. So in each of those, there's kind of like this group of villains. They're around for a while. We find a method of repelling them. And that, as a trope, repeats itself. One night over dinner, this rolls out in the conversation. What would happen if the bad guys win? What does that look like for a wrestling company? And the answer ultimately becomes what I call the Ashes Project. Who are the kinds of villains that you can't beat? If you can beat them in the ring, if you can hold their shoulders down for the count of three, that's how we reach a point of closure in our storytelling. But you can't beat certain types of corporate masters. So what if there's an evil corporation that we cannot beat, that we can't repel, right? Wrestlers are well-suited to taking on physical opponents, but guys in suits pulling strings in boardrooms, they don't get in the ring. You can't hold their shoulders down for the count of three. So as we started to pull on that string a little bit, the whole thing started to kind of take shape. And it is very much inspired by my love of 70s paranoia films and also the AMC series Rubicon. And then we also took a lot of um, symbolism, some numerology and other themes from Alan Moore's Watchmen. And we started to just combine all of them. So if this project is unknown to you in brief, we ended up building a bunch of other organizations and then also kind of behind the scenes, taking control of the writing and production of another. So we launch all these companies. Wrestling is cool. Wrestling is heart. Wrestling is intense. Uh, we begin to do the creative for Kaiju Big Battle. We launch Chikara's uh, sister promotions. Wrestling is art. Wrestling is respect. Wrestling is awesome and wrestling is fun. So at one time, we're running eight different other satellite wrestling organizations, wow. and we put those in place so that when Chikara appears to be destroyed by the evil corporation, our roster jumps into these other companies like lifeboats. But then a new threat emerges that forces all those lifeboats to come back together, and the entire ensemble is reunited to face the greatest threat we've ever known, a group called the Flood. In hindsight, if you look at the first event after Chikara quotes you can't see returns, which is May 25th, 2014, we draw the single largest paid audience in the entire history of my organization. Over 1,600 people packed into the Palmer Center in Easton, PA. Two hours before the event, we're causing traffic jams all throughout the Lehigh Valley because people are trying to get to our place to see this thing happen. So. In terms of its short-term success, I think it was undeniable. Uh, in terms of its long-term success, did it do a lot to elevate 
uh, where Chakar was, that's harder to say. Uh, it never ceases to amaze me. There's some people, even as recently as maybe six months ago, I was somewhere signing autographs and someone said, oh, it's a shame that Chikara got shut down all those years ago. And I thought, <laughs> what are you talking about? We're making season 20 right now. And, and, and his reaction was, what? Um, so I think it probably, unfortunately, created confusion in the marketplace. Our willingness to go to complete radio silence and really not break from telling the story and making it seem very all uh, or very immersive probably in some corners hurt us because people either were uninformed or fell victim to misinformation about it. And over the long term, we probably had to battle our way back from some of that. Yeah, uh, an amazing story, and uh, the, actually, the last fifty minutes that we've spent with you has been an amazing story for all of us to uh, to have the opportunity to chat to you, Mike. We do thank you, as we said at the start, so much for your time. We really do appreciate it. You've been extremely generous with us, and uh, we look forward to keeping our eye on what happens in Shikara and uh, and also uh, what happens at the Wrestling Factory as well. Well, thanks for the time, and thanks for allowing me to come onto this platform and talk to the audience you guys have grown and cultivated. It means a lot. It's a platform that you're not unfamiliar with, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Very true. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate you joining us. Thank you. Mike Quackenbush joining us here on The Turnbuckle. Welcome back, our second half of the show, the music of Brock Lesnar, bringing us in before we talk about Brock and other things that have been happening in the world of wrestling. Uh, Just listening to that again, boys, that was fantastic. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously Mike's got one of, if not the best brain in the business, and I'd encourage everyone to seek out his counsel and his advice because he's just a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, he loves to give back too. So, you know, he gave us well, 50 minutes of his own time for us. So, he's got a very soothing voice as well, Tony. Doesn't yeah, he, he has. Uh, extremely. At one thirty in the morning, it was extremely soothing. <laughs> uh, and also, we'll be following up on that interview with Mike. We've been fortunate enough to be given uh, access to the Wrestle Factory in uh, November when I head over there for Survivor Series. So, really looking forward to doing that and, uh, and following up with a, a chat with him then. Are, are you going over to America? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, for, for four days in Chicago. Bad. That's a pretty, pretty good one. You've done well there. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it should be great. It should be fantastic. The podcast will be better that week. <laughs> the music of Brock Lesnar cashed in. He's money in the bank. That's well, not next on the. No, it's not, but I'm just saying. He's following up on the music that we played. Oh, yes. That's yeah, he is. did. Um, yeah. At, what was it called? Extreme Rules. Extreme Rules. Extreme hmm. Rules. Sorry, I've been a bit off this week. Yeah. You have. Uh, we'll talk about that shortly as well. Fight for the Fallen. That was your drink on Saturday night. <laughs> one of them, only one. I, what do we think, guys? I haven't seen it yet. I'm oh, you didn't. You didn't watch it. Nine thirty a.m. on the Sunday morning, probably a bit early oh. for uh, for our mate here. Nine thirty a.m. on the Tuesday morning was still early for. <laughs> our mate in here. fairness, I was watching the other show. I was watching Evolve. So Evolve, which I have not watched. So we've done between us. We've seen both. Yeah, it was very good. Um, I thought it was a good show. It wasn't as Top to bottom, as good as their previous ones. You know, I know this was uh, a charity event, if you you want to say that. I like the um, 
the setup of the whole arena was a different look. Um, some good matches on there, you know, Seema versus Kenny Omega was amazing. Babyface match, a little bit unsure of what they're doing with Hangman Page. He's meant to be the number one contender and he's wrestling a guy virtually a lot of people will probably have seen for the first or second time. Um, it's not really getting him over. As the I don't think second. he's not a main eventer to me, um, Hangman. No, like, I don't. He doesn't have that presence yet. I yeah. think... Um, I, I can't work out why they wouldn't have done a tournament to, to to crown their first champion. It seems it seems like something that WCW would have done in two thousand, like on one of their reboots. Like, oh no, we're just gonna have a match and the winner's the champion. Yeah. I I think if you're doing a real sports presentation, there should have been a tournament. Um and that way you could have actually got Hangman to the final and put him over by having him get injured in the first match and fight through injury and things yeah. like that. That would have made it feel more important. Yeah. I think think to the masses, and obviously they've got to, you know, it's all right to have the BTE crowd. Um, they're always going to show up anyway. They're the hardcores, you know. But their last previous three shows, I don't think they've built on what Hangman, what they would want him to be, to be, you know, obviously the number one contender or, um, yeah, it's a little bit strange, but. It was a really good match uh, versus Kip Sabian. Um, but, yeah, there's some really... Well, that old mate in the front row. Bit old... of a bit of a kiss on the cheek. That was actually very clever. I, he did well there. You know, get, he was getting heckled, Tony. Uh, Kip mm. Sabian was, and he just planted one on his lips. Lovely. Yeah. That happened to me. I did that once in a football match and got a broken jaw. <laughs> I, played yeah. it, I played in that match. <laughs> uh, yeah, so... Um... Dangerous. <laughs> well, the guy, uh, the look of, of shock on the guy's face was priceless. It's very memorable. What about on the turnbuckles, Jimmy Havoc and Joey Janella? Was it? Yeah, that was match? in the uh, the six the three, man yeah, the six tag. Man tag. Yeah, that, that was good. Like I'm saying, the wrestling's really good. Um, it was. It did not. I don't want to say drag because that's. Uh, no, actually, it did drag. I looked up at the clock. It was a long show. Yeah, I, I sat down at nine thirty to watch you know the pre-show, which <laughs> haven't been great for AEW. Um, but no, the the six man tag was good. Um, really highlighted MJF. Unfortunately, got injured, but uh, yeah, he's going to be a superstar. The Young Bucks with uh, Cody and Dustin Rhodes. It was good. It was um, fun. It's very different. Babyface match again. Look, they, there's, they weren't sure who was meant to be the heel. There's in not South enough heels in AEW. Yeah, and that that's probably needs to change. But Cody's done a good job of making his match always feel important. Yeah, it because he's not my favorite wrestler, Cody. No, no, um, definitely but not. But there's definitely whenever his matches on, it's all three all three times. It's felt like it's the most important part of the card. Yeah, you're invested um, in his story. Yeah, so and I don't know if like I don't know what they need to do to lift they to lift the the other stories up to those up to the Cody story level where I don't know if it's his presence or what it is that's making him feel more important than everyone else. Uh, the other thing, I mean, I didn't watch the show, but I did see the speech at the end. The rah-rah speeches at the end of AEW shows have to stop. It feels like self-congratulations. Uh, yeah, and, it definitely did. Um, yeah, it's – I don't like, – that would be like having the directors of movies come out at the end of movies and just say, how awesome are we? Yeah. Like, it just shouldn't happen. Uh, that's That's probably got to stop. Keep presenting it like sports. Don't have the owners come out and give a speech. You can have that on social media, yeah, but not on your telecast. Yeah, it come. It was, and it was long as well. Like I think it was a four and a half hour show. Now, and I'm pretty sure, other than 
a WrestleMania or something like that. I don't want to sit there for four hours, even though the wrestling's good. And you know, there was a lot of wrestling this it's weekend. Also, it's not WrestleMania. Yeah, no, it definitely is isn't. And you know, even WrestleMania, I don't want it to go over four hours, even though we're probably going to get an eight or nine hour WrestleMania. But it, and you could tell in that in that um, the temperature very in the last match, it it worn down the crowd. They were pretty not sitting on their hands, but. You know, they, you could tell they were tired. You know, two and, and a half for, to three hours, plenty long, plenty long for a four hours show. Is too long. For, three, um, three hours for a pay per view. I think crowds get a bit um, tired, yeah. especially in the heat in the sun. But yeah, so it was tropical. Um, I think, yeah, I think that matches don't have to go for thirty-five minutes to be good matches. You can tell a really great story in twelve minutes, and that's part of the part of the skill of a wrestler can be whatever time you've got to tell your story in that time. And I think that's something that's going to need. To evolve as well. Yeah, definitely. Speaking of evolve. Speaking of evolve, their 10th anniversary uh, show was also on on the weekend, and the uh, evolve and WWN titles have been unified. Austin Theory defeating JD Drake. Yeah, and um, I'd never seen JD Drake before. He's a Kevin Owens type build. Yep. And he's excellent. Uh, Austin Theory is a, a star waiting to happen. He'll be he'll be a WWE star before we know yeah, it. Definitely. But. That whole card, top to bottom, was excellent. Uh, the crowd was super hot. Um, Paul Heyman's surprise appearance in the ECW arena was mind blowing to the crowd. There, it was. It was just an amazing show. Did, uh, one thing, obviously, I haven't watched it. Did it feel like a takeover? It, the way it was presented, it was, the light, the way the the stadium was lit, you could yep. tell that the production values had come up because WWE were there filming. Yep, and it, it felt a little bit like a takeover, like a in presentation. Yep. Um, and the match quality was probably an NXT live event quality. It was, they were really good matches. Adam Cole retaining his, uh, NXT championship. Yeah. I mean, the matches like that, they're not as important because that's not what it's about because the NXT championship was never going to change mm. on an Evolve show. But, um, Adam Cole uh, is so over with every crowd he gets in front of. Um, Johnny Gargano came out as well, which was nice. Um, seeing guys like um, Drew Gulak back in front of that crowd wrestling against Matt Riddle, that's what the night was about. Yep. Um, and, yeah, it was fantastic. Move on to the other pay-per-view on the weekend. Uh, Monday for us, it was WWE Extreme Rules. A pretty good pay-per-view. And I think what it proved to me, boys, from what I saw of it, is that The Undertaker is still very much a good wrestler if he is wrestling with good wrestlers. Put him in the ring with another older wrestler, and I think you're going to have not the best match. But when you put him in with guys who are actually doing a great job, I think he still comes to the fore. Well, I don't even think it's that. I think it's his character's strong enough to carry him. And then if you've got other guys working hard, he doesn't have to do as much. So you said it, Lyle. Just get him out there, stand in the corner, play your greatest hits. Yeah. Crowd goes home happy. I actually actually love the match. And that was, you know... Obviously, I watch a lot of New Japan. They they still bring out the old guys at 50, 55 years old. They just play the greatest hits. You know, obviously, The Undertaker is probably 50% entrance nowadays, uh, if not more. Mm. But, um, you know. He did blow up about two minutes in, but he had a yeah. second win, well, he thankfully. Didn't, he didn't blow up as much as Shane. So, but yeah, Shane you know, comes out blown up. Yeah, well, he's purple. It's, it's very scary, actually. Um, <laughs> but... Yeah, he played his he played his greatest hits. They teased the snake guys, then he hit it, and um, you know they teased the uh, old school 
you know, it was good. You know, he and, you're not, and you don't like The Undertaker, so. <laughs> no, I never said I didn't like him. I just thought he was. He's overrated. Over, yeah, overrated doesn't mean I don't like him. Just people put him on a pedestal because he had three good WrestleMania matches. <laughs> yeah, settle, settle down, guys. Yeah. That's three more than us. Well, no, well, obviously he's highly rated than myself as a as a wrestler, and yeah, and that's not hard. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed that match. Um, and it it gave a rub to Roman Reigns, and he, you know, that it was not a passing of the torch moment. Well, they've already just, done their passing, yeah, of the torch, but, but uh, it still it gave him a rub. I um enjoyed the whole show. Yeah, uh, I thought it was a really good show. Uh, Strowman and Lashley. That was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. That was super fun. All around the arena, you know, the um, you know, the back body drop. Or, beat the crap out of each other. Yeah, you know, into the merch stand and stuff like that. Uh, that, that was so good chemistry. Yeah, definitely. And, and I love the, the finish of the match when he broke through the, the plaster wall and just had his hands up beyond the count of the 10. Uh, it was really well done. Yeah, I still I think Lashley's still missing a mouthpiece. I yeah. think that should, they don't want to use Leo Rush, they've got to use someone. Um, just to get his, his character over a bit. But if you can just keep having him have matches like he had with Strowman, it's going to work. But he's, he needs to start winning at some stage as well. Yes. And SmackDown has new tag team champions uh, and you don't? I just wanted to – sorry. On, um, the What do you think of a squash match in the, on, on the pay-per-view? There was – The Kevin Owens? Owens, yeah. Yeah, so what there was you know, added on the morning of the show or whatever. Oh, I actually like that kind of stuff. It, it breaks it up and it – you know, it just re-educates fans that you know finishes can can happen out of anywhere. And you know, this yeah. is the thing: like, not every match should go thirty minutes. No, it should be the odd. Not. Oh, he was sleep- he was caught him sleeping, and yeah, guy wasn't prepared. Like, I'm I'm okay with it. I think I well, especially is- if a match has someone who is far superior to his opponent. This one uh, didn't. Yeah, necessarily. It, it, it's not that. Like, you you probably seen the the gif of the the UFC fight mm. the other week with the flying knee. Yep. You know the. Quickest knockout in history. And he was the underdog, the guy that did it. So you can still, you know, I know AEW are going to be true sports uh, product, but, um, you know, with guys like Heyman and with Eric the- Bischoff, I think Heyman has it more, you know, that surprise element, it can happen. You know, I know wrestling, oh, you know, burying the other guy, but I don't, I don't see it like that, it, you know. With the big um, push that I'm expecting Owens to get right now, um, I think it it works in well to that. So fill us in because I, I didn't see the whole show. I only saw bits and pieces of it. Is the is there an influence of uh, Paul Heyman and Eric Bischoff in the pay per views as well? There was none in from Bischoff yet. I wouldn't have thought because he's he Still hasn't moving. really started work okay. till till this week will be his first show in charge. Um, I mean, there's elements of Heyman. I think it was just their last few pay per views have been pretty good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like I, I said to you, oh, I was. I was really excited to go home and watch it. Because the know? last one we were surprised. Yeah. The quality was decent. Yeah. No one, there was no buzz behind it. Yeah, it was zero buzz, actually. So, no, this this was good from top to bottom. It was really good good wrestling. Like, even Alistair Black and Cesaro. That was a great like, match. Yeah, you know, it, sh- it highlighted what Cesaro can do, you know, when he brings that strength element to his uh, character. Even the pre-show was really good. Um, Shinsuke and Finn Balor ripped the house down. Now... That's what a pre-show is for. It's to get people to watch it and go. I need to. I need to see this show. Yeah, maybe someone should say tell AEW. What about Becky Lynch copying the um, end of days of <laughs> Baron Corbin? Yeah, I, I know WWE though. You know, probably don't want to go into that territory. So that maybe that's where like a Paul Heyman does. But it makes it more impactful. 
Yeah, definitely. That you don't want to happen. do it all the time, you know. Um, and yeah, and the ta- the table, the double table spot between the the couple. I, I, I enjoyed. What that. I enjoyed about it was that Seth, the fire in Seth after Becky got destroyed. Yep. Um, was like visible, and then you had like uh, Lacey backing away as if like I don't know this is combustible. I don't want to be part of this, and then um, Seth destroying. Baron, and then of course, Brock's music hits, and we get the title change, mm-hmm. uh, which the crowd are going to pop for any ch- title change, and they popped because they knew what was happening, um, and it was a fun way to finish the show because those mixed tag matches are very hard to do. Yeah, yeah, especially if you, you know the man on woman violence and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And WWE, they have sponsors they have to you know, cater to. But they can't stuff. do it. Yeah, so but they they're doing it sparingly. I think I think they can get away with it, and like you said, it makes it more impactful. Especially when the commentators then are like, even Corey, who's very pro Baron, was straight into that's going too far, and yeah. like you know, it was. Uh, I thought that it, um, thought it was a really good show, and I I obviously can't comment because I haven't seen the AEW show, but a lot of people comparing it favorably to the AEW show. Well, myself, I, I, you know, I would say the Extreme Rules was was better. Not 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 by a lot. No, like you know, really, hey, don't go out of your way to see AEW because there's still some good matches on there. Just yeah, I think WWE oh. won this one. Uh, New Japan's G1 tournament. How's that tracking along? Oh, it's a marathon at the minute, Tony. It's only <laughs> three nights into it. No, it's three it's nights or four nights. The there's too much. Yeah, it's so much good wrestling on at the minute. Can, can WWE stop making good wrestling so that we can <laughs> we can ignore them for the next two yeah. months or something? I, I I um I don't know. It gets me more excited when you know there's good wrestling on. You know, for myself, I just want to watch more wrestling. It's it's weird. Like, you know, maybe halfway through the G one, I might be starting to taper off. But um, yeah, it's been really good so far. You know, some been some upsets, and you know, Carter and Kenta they're on four points and. Will Ospreay's injured? Yeah, Will Ospreay's injured. It's a neck injury mm. stinger, they're hoping. They're saying muscle. Yeah, which so. Which is positive. Yeah. It's his neck area again. again. So, yeah, he didn't wrestle last night or when you hear this, two nights ago. He didn't wrestle three Monday nights, night. Yeah, Monday night. Um, So, they've got to Thursday night, they're back again. You know, whether he's he, still hopeful. Yeah, he's holding out hope. So I hope he maybe take the extra couple of days because it is his neck again. Um, it's unfortunate because obviously Will Ospreay, we've said it before, you know, probably the best wrestler in the world at the minute. So, you know, but I'd rather him be healthy and see the G1 through than rush back. But yeah, it's been really good so far. You know, go out of your way to see Jushin Shing- uh, Shingo beat the absolute yeah. piss out of each other. Definitely go see that. Uh, Yano. And Naito was very ridiculously good. Um, comedy match. You know, obviously, Yano. Well, Yano you know, only has comedy matches. Yeah, he's uh, he's there to take a fair few pinfalls and get a sneaky win there to make sure the brackets and the points line up. And no, they did it really well. You know, Kenta versus Tanahashi, obviously, that was a dream match for probably a decade. So seeing that was good. Oh, I'm enjoying it. I can't wait until... Thursday night show. All right, that's the uh, New Japan Wrestling G1 tournament. Uh, now with his uh, that's thoughts, all the wrestling on, I've seen. So I was going to say now with his thoughts on how it all went on at Showdown Wrestling on Saturday night. Here's Welshy. Yeah, let's go Welshy. You start this one. I thought the venue was good. It was well lit. The Italian Sports Club in Werribee. Yeah. Can I tell you? I, I really thought that was a good venue too. It the, is. The, it, I love the lighting. It was amazing. Lighting was fantastic. Probably the most lit up 
Yeah, well, you know, you know, all I would show. like to see, and I know it'll cost him a couple of bucks to do, and that's probably why it's prohibitive, is to have some sort of stadium seating. Yep. Even if it was just four or five tiered rows around that ring, I think it would look fantastic. And then, it, and then I'd go even further, put a black curtain behind that, and have it like an enclosed. You know, had T was it TNT that used to do those shows. 20, 30 years ago, they were like in a little stadium. That's before They're my like time, They like intimate Tony. shows. TNT. You're putting your promoter's cap on here, Tony. As soon as you walked in Saturday night, that was he was grabbing me and he chewed my ear off about the potential of the venue. So I didn't even see you guys there. What are you talking about? You come and said g'day. You know, my kids were there. Mm. You met my dad. You don't, you don't remember meeting my dad? It would be no. a good venue for a TV Shaping, yep. TV taping. Um, I think I'd like something more enclosed where the noise no, that's is what I'm saying, but if you, had, if you had the black curtain around the outside. That's not, like, what I mean is the noise will escape too much in that big room. Like I think you almost want smaller, harder mm. to get people in for a TV tape. Just not a bad video. It was, yeah. it was a good one. It was a great it was, um, for families and things like that, was I would have thought. It was the bocce room where they'd play, yeah. where they'd play indoor bocce out the back of the Italian sports club. Yeah, and they do amazing. Uh, what do you oven. think of it? Oh, I thought it was really good. I was about match, to, match wise. Match match was good. Look, um, it's different to a super indie, you know, shows, you know, like an MCW and stuff like that, where it's work rate more than you know characters. But this was family. Like I took my two kids. Uh, my brother in law brought his two kids. Brought my old man. Um, it was good. Just family. Just a family a night at the wrestling. Nice little feud happening between Nick Berry and Mitch Waterman. Yeah, Nick Burry. He's got a bit angry after you've. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Did you? Did you I called him Nick Burry. Yeah, he did. He slagged <laughs> he, you off too. He slagged me off. And, and my wife, who went to her very first wrestling event, said to me, "What the f was that about?" <laughs> I said, "It's just wrestling dance." Yeah. yeah, he. Um, I'm sorry, I missed it. Yeah, you know, my son went, ran up to the to the fence and told him he sucked, and he got a "you suck" right yeah, back at him. So I have to thank Nick for that. You know, keep him. Keep him grounded. Um, but, yeah, yeah I... Your job to ground him. No, grounded, level-headed, you know, right. different, you know. So, yeah, oh, I thought it was good. Some, you know, obviously, JXT coming back, his first thing. How loud was the pop? The, yeah, it was good. The kids love him, yeah. you know. Got the old uh, wrestling figures at the merch stand, $2. The JXT <laughs> sticks were... Yeah, I think... Uh, there was a few of those around. Yeah, my kids and my, my dad cleaned him out, so, you know, and... Any any show with Slade Mercer in the main events, uh, it's a winner for me. That was a good main event. Yeah, definitely. Had some good heat going about it. Yeah, it was a bit of back and forth. They're and both good wrestlers. So yeah, and obviously Slade and you know, DCT. Yeah. Andy Coyne and his cronies had to come in and ruin bloody, it. Bloody Andy. So now Coyne. we've got to wait till November, you know, for to the, see what happens exactly. Yeah. You know, DCT. I'm not sure I'm allowed back, so. Now, correct Were you there? You'll be, you'll be fine. Was he I there? Was there. We'll get you. Yeah, you were there. I heard I'm some, some glass breaking. You know, can I just say something? Yeah, Stone Cold was Stone Cold there. Was there yeah. Can I just say something? That. A young mother with two young daughters who knew my wife, they were at a party in one of the function rooms next door. They came into the wrestling room, didn't pay, they during the intermission, yeah. just to say hello to my wife. My wife brought them in to show them around. They got kicked out by security guards because they didn't have a stamp on their hand, but a bloke who had had 37,000 beers yeah. and spilled a couple I spilled didn't even one. get spoken to. Are you, are you saying like an RSA thing you don't respond to? Oh, well, I wasn't buying alcohol. Oh, okay, okay. So they were being bought for you. You were consuming them. There's no doubt about that. Now, look, how many times is he going to be drunk at a... No, it's you know, unprofessional. Is it? That is, it is. It's extreme. It's, it's embarrassing us person, for us. Look, I woke up people... the next day and I couldn't remember the show at all. Yeah. So it's I embarrassing think I need to for re- us. I think I need yeah. to reassess my life. Look, we're an advertisement ourselves. 
you know, just being out. Sometimes you've got to let your hair down and have some fun, Lyle. But you had no hair left. In all fairness. I'm pretty sure Benny had to sweep your hair up and been on the ground I, that much. I'd come straight from like my, my sister's farewell drinks. So that started at about 11. And when you started at nine. No, I just started at 11. Um, and I was a bit sad because I'm not going to see my sister and my nephews for the next 12 months. So I was drowning my sorrows and I might have had one too many drinks. How'd you wake up on Tuesday? Tuesday? Yeah, you're still a bit rough Tuesday? Tuesdays had a bit of indigestion still. <laughs> um, Sunday. A bit of indigestion. Sunday. Whew. Yeah, I don't know. I just think today's yeah. Tuesday. Bit of, well, it was okay. Tuesday, bit, a bit of a pro- professionalism. Thumbs so. up from everyone about showdown wrestling. Yes, we well, definitely. Was a, a they're, they're I've been told it was good. Yeah, I know yeah. I had a good time. Yeah, and yeah, you know, the stories during was, the show. I reckon there was two hundred, two fifty there. Yeah, yeah, it'd be just crowd. under two fifty. Yeah. I'd say. Um. Uh. Yeah. The the the, the show long storylines really built well, and you know, leading into the uh, November show at the same venue. So, and they're educating a new audience, which so that can take time. Yes. Oh, so I really, what, sorry, go. I really think that they're on to a winner. Can I just say, DCT? I love him. As he is just a classic old school wrestler, isn't he? Hundred percent. He is. He's the <laughs> best. He's back to the seventies and eighties. The yep. way he does his stuff. He's just a real pro, and he just go. It's just great to watch him wrestle. Yeah, love to hate him. That's that's the my, my kids hated him. Yeah. And well, the only reason that I boo him is because he's associated with Andy Coyne. Otherwise, I'd like him. Yeah, well, I like yeah. him at MC. He is related to Willie from The Simpsons, isn't he? Well, he sound exactly the same. <laughs> it's a bit racist, don't he? Yeah. No, I'm just saying he sounds Scottish. Yeah, but no, thank you to Showdown, making yeah, my no. kids wrestling fans again. So that's a win for me. Win, win, win. MCW Ballroom Brawl coming up, boy. It's going to be a big weekend. Who have you got winning the Ballroom Brawl, guys? So oh. what is it, a 20-man? 20 20 Battle Rumble. Battle Royal. Oh, Rumble, yeah. Maybe a surprise. I can, is Brooksy sneaking back into oh, the country? Oh, there's been a little bit of hint out there. I didn't want to didn't want to step on any toes. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, I mean, it was, look, little... it, there's a video that's been made by Snapmares, um, yes. our friend Andy Coyne. Um, his company, it's on our Facebook page, so have a look at it. Go like their page. Um, but they've got Brooksy in their list, so that's why I'm mentioning Brooksy. Yes. Obviously, my pick would be my close personal friend, Gino Gambino. I'd mm-hmm. like to see him win it. Has he said he's entered the Rumble or he just said he's going to be in. there? Yeah, he's going to be oh, Okay, interesting. Who do you think, Tony? Uh, I think that possibly you're right with Brooksy. Oh, I thought you want to choose in your close personal friend, lover boy, Lockie Hendricks. No, I wouldn't well, he win the Rumble and he, he win the uh, Intercondom. Do you reckon it could be like an underdog? Like, you know, is it Sean Young or TD or? Yeah, it's uh, Sean TD Young or STD for short, <laughs> like we, we call him. Um, he was there Saturday night, Tony. Hmm. Is Jack seen the, uh... no? No, no, he's at NAW. Oh, okay, yep. So who have you got, Lyle? Uh, if it's not a surprise, and now I'm not going to steal Brooksy, I'm hoping for a Wahlberg. I know he's got another match that night, but doesn't mean anything. Everyone should be in the Rumble. Maybe one of the young kids as well. Maybe um, maybe TNT. TNT. I, I would pop so hard if TNT ran out. That's actually my dream entrant. It would be detonation time, that's for sure. It would be so funny. Uh, Slex putting up two titles. Yeah, so he, yes. he, he won it over in uh, SPW. Has Moody yeah. won a match in um, MCW before? Uh, he's definitely 50-50 at best. <laughs> I mean, he's won it too. He, he, 
he may be on a hot streak over there, and obviously the SPW title's on the line. So, you know. Uh, my, my money's on our boy Slex to win Yes, that. keep both belts, you know. And you got Wahlberg versus Dowie versus uh, TK Cooper returning. And Lockie Hendricks's last Australian match before he becomes an international superstar, apparently. Put your fist down, Tony. Stop pumping your fist that he's leaving. <laughs> You're uh, going to be sad. I'm going to be I'm going to be sad. Yeah, of course Emotional. I am. Yeah, is he going to... I love a Lucky Hendrix. Yeah, hopefully he gives a nice going away speech promo, you know, throws you under the bus or something, Tony, mm. giving him no respect. That's well, not about me. <laughs> I wonder if he's going to take the title with him and put it in, like, put it in the trash on TV like be Medusa. Sure. Yep. We should head out to the airport on the day that he's flying and try and get an interview. I'm with driving him. him to the airport. Hey, well, let us know when you're going to get there. What good friends do. Lyle and, I'll, Lyle and I'll be out there and film I'll it. Just want to do a little bit of a filming interview. He might have some wishing him goodbye. He might have some harsh words for you, Tony. To oh, be honest, well, I hope so. Yeah, but oh, it's going to be well, a- nothing. Would be better than the Australian Federal Police getting him because he's <laughs> got me in a headlock or something. Oh, it's going it's to be so amazing. So mean-spirited, Tony. Very much so. Upcoming shows, folks. Saturday, July the 20th, Wrestle Rampage in Adelaide presents Rampage Revolution. NAW is on in Glenroy with the long-awaited return of former NAW champion JXT. PCW Ignition is on in Ferntree Gully. MCW Ballroom Brawl is on at Thornbury Theatre. Adelaide Championship Wrestling have Erica Reed on the card, tongue-kissing her rat. IWA Live and Loud is on at St. John's Park in Sydney. If you've got an idea for a podcast, contact mypodcasthouse.com or on the turbuckle through our Facebook page and we can help you get to air. Next week, all the fallout from Ballroom Brawl. This is because I don't know who we're interviewing. Ooh, it's mm. a mystery. Oh, I've got a, I've got a two or three irons in the fire. Uh, mm. Wahlberg, one of those? But I- I don't, I don't know. know. I'm I don't know. It's one of the irons you've got. I'm not sure. Maybe it's just going to be a special. Be secretive with me. No one else is listening, so just talk to me. Maybe it's going to be a special guest <laughs> oh. that no one even knows. Erica about. Reed's rat. Pixie. Well, no, Erica still hasn't. Pixie. Erica still hasn't forgiven me for not pressing record last time she was in the studio. Oh, twice. <laughs> it may have been mentioned on Saturday night. <laughs> Allegedly, he'd have no idea. No, he would have no that. idea. Well, seriously. You are not allowed to drink on Saturday night this week. No. Have a, a couple. No, not even one with your hamburger before the match. Wouldn't, no. Just a couple. Thanks for joining us, folks. Hope you're having a drink while you're enjoying this and just relaxing and chilling out to another episode of On The Turnbuckle. Unless you're listening to it while driving or at work. Come on, Tony, be responsible. Yeah, I'm just saying chilling out, relaxing. <laughs> That's what you're it's doing. A bit rich, responsible for me. Exactly. <laughs> I wasn't driving. Catch you next week with a special guest, apparently, and all the wash-up from Ballroom Brawl right here on the turnbuckle on mypodcasthouse.com. Catch you then.